We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to The Core here on American Family Radio. Glad to be with you on this edition of The Core here on American Family Radio. Walker, you know I like talking to myself. Why (laughs) The Core? (laughs) What does the show name mean? Please explain. I've always wondered. I'm so glad you asked. Well, the name of the show is, is... uh, the core because we aim to highlight the core values of American Family Association, which is the parent ministry of American Family Radio. So what you're listening to now is an American Family Radio broadcast. Uh, we broadcast 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days out of the year on our network of 180 plus stations in over 30 states. And then, of course, we're online as well through the app, through the website, through our podcast. And so the name of this show during this time slot is The Core here on American Family Radio. And um, let me hand something to my producer, Bobby. So the name of The Core is uh, uh, named The Core because we want to focus on the core values of American Family Association. And uh, here's just a couple. Well, I'll go ahead and read all six of our core values. Here on the show, let me get through some windows here on our website, afa.net. That's our uh, American Family Association's website. So the core values of American Family Association, we've got six core values that are all rooted in God's Word. So I always talk about, I often talk about, where do we get our values from? Where do we get our beliefs from? That drives our actions, that drives our thoughts, that drives our emotions, and everything, our entire position system here at American Family Radio is built on God's Word. So our values, our core values, are driven from what God's Word says about humanity, about creation, about, um, about us as humans and how we should respond, how should we should carry ourselves here on earth. Evangelism and discipleship, that's our first core value. Marriage and family, that's our second core value. Morality is our third core value. Sanctity of human life, that's our fourth core value. Our fifth core value is stewardship, biblical stewardship, not just with dollar bills, but with everything God has entrusted to us. And lastly, the sixth core value is religious liberty. So those are our six core values, and we we aim to cover those core values here on the show and and cover articles and news stories and give a biblical uh, point of view on those different core values. Jumping to our scripture for the day, we're in the book of Psalm, continuing our study of Psalm. Psalm chapter 15. O Lord, who shall sojourn sojourn in your tent, who shall dwell on your holy hill, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks the truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor nor take takes up a reproach against his friend. 
In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those, but who honors those who fear the Lord? Who swears to his own hurt and does not change? Verse 5. Who does not put out his money at interest and does not take up a bribe against the innocent? He who does these things shall uh, never be moved. So verse 1. Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? My encouragement to us today as the body of Christ, as believers in Jesus Christ for eternal salvation as the Son of God, um, my prayer, my, uh, my hope is that we, as the body of Christ, shall dwell on God's holy hill. And we can do that now, and we can do that in eternity. But to do that now, to do that where we are in our temporal state here on earth as mere flesh, as Scripture calls us, mere flesh, we must rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to dwell on God's holy hill. Uh, moving to our stories for the day, the Biden administration is talking about raising taxes. Remember, they either, depending on who you talk to, they either wouldn't commit to not raising taxes or they said, we won't raise taxes talking about the Biden administration, even during the campaign trail. They were questioned about, look, how are you going to pay for this green <laughs> green hoax? How are you going to pay for I was going to say the Green New Deal, but we got to stop using their terminology. We have to stop using their terminology. Because what happens is, is we use the, we use the pagans' terminology, and then we spend five minutes unpackaging the fake terminology <laughs> before we can even talk substance. So let's not use the terminology of the pagans, of the God-haters, of those that do not share our biblical world view. So the green hoax, let's call it that, the green hoax, which is the climate hoax and everything that's wrapped up in that massive topic that we could talk about for an entire show, um, is um, how to pay for all their agenda items, including the green hoax, which uh, has to do with all kinds of energy regulation, energy taxation, and so on and so forth. Well, so amongst that political talking point, they were questioned over and over again, the Biden administration and, and the Biden campaign, they were questioned over and over again, look, how are you going to pay for these wish list items that you guys have? And they either wouldn't answer the question or they said, we're going to raise taxes. Well, as it turns out, the uh, there's a White House economic advisor, um, Jared Bernstein. We played his clip before, but he would not uh, he would not roll out a a Biden tax in order to pay for some of their agenda items. And here is the uh, the you ask, well, how much revenue does the U.S. federal government have? How much how much revenue does the federal government take in? How much are they spending? How does that add up? Do we need a new another tax amongst the uh, bajillion taxes we already have now? Here is here are the numbers. Here are the numbers for you. This is out of thebalance.com. Most of the revenue from the federal government is paid either through income taxes or payroll taxes in fiscal year or FY 2021. Income taxes will account for, and this this article was posted. A little while ago, which is why it's talking in past tense. 
In FY 2021, income taxes will account for 50% of federal revenue. Payroll taxes make up about 36% of federal revenue. And lastly, corporate taxes supply 7%. The rest is made up from estate taxes, excise and custom duties, and interest on the Federal Reserve's holdings of the U.S. Treasury. Well, that's the percentage breakdown of where all the money goes, where it comes from. As far as a dollar amount overall for revenue, let's look at that. FY fiscal year 2021, it is, once the uh, books are closed, it is estimated that the federal government will bring in about $3.86 trillion in revenue from all the sources I just mentioned. $3.86 trillion, with a T, dollars. Well, you look at that and you go, wow, we should be able to pay all of our obligations and then we can have some left over. Well, that's if you're running a household or a business. But since you're the government and you own the printing press for the almighty dollar, then you can spend $3.86 trillion, then some. <laughs> and that's what we do every year, and we've been doing that for some time now. As far as how much more we're spending than we have or than we take in, uh, about $900 billion, almost a trillion. It's going to hit a trillion next year. A trillion dollars. We're spending a trillion dollars more than we bring in. Or, if you want to break it down on a percentage standpoint, we're spending about 25% more than we're bringing in. So we're bringing in, let's say, $3.86 trillion. We're spending another roughly trillion dollars, which is actually closer to 30%. I'm not a mathematician. I'm doing this on the fly. But we're spending a, basically a quarter of our budget more than we have. So about $1 trillion out of roughly $4 trillion. Uh, for the federal government. Much of this is interest, by the way. Much of this, we're paying interest on debt that we owe. And uh, it turns out the interest that we're paying is going to end up being more than our Department of Defense budget, which is one of the largest budget items for the federal government. So, Walker, why on earth are you talking economics? Why are you talking dollar signs? Well, the reason I brought this up is because I believe America could pay her bills, could pay her obligations, and have money left over. I genuinely do. That's not dreaming. That's not far-fetched. That's not fantasy land. Are we in a predicament? Absolutely. We have dug ourselves in a big, big hole. We have gotten hooked on the dollar. We've gotten hooked on the printing press. We just, if we don't have it, We'll just print it. And that's the mentality we've created in this country. It's not a good one. Um, but if we had leaders in this country who took this stuff seriously and wanted to run a no-debt policy, it could be done, my friends. And it could be done. And for the doom and gloomers out there who say, oh, people would go hungry, we would have to cut welfare systems, uh, the welfare system, the welfare state, we would have to cut, uh, you know, uh, uh, all kind of federal aid. We would have to cut hurricane aid. 
No, that's completely not true. That's completely not true. You could cut from areas with minimal overall, uh, quote-unquote, damage done, if you will. We could start first. Let's stop giving billions to other countries that, for what? Well, what are we giving billions to other countries for, especially when they're not, sir, it's the, the money's not serving the best interest of, of the development of this country, such as $14 billion in a week, in a day, that we authorized for Ukraine. Oh, but Walker, we've got to help Ukraine. Okay, maybe. But what does the word help mean? Because not only are we sending military aid to in the tune of hundreds of millions, but then we're sending $14 billion in other aid authorized by Congress. Where on earth is that money going? And we have to stop assuming that if it's going towards a noble cause, it automatically has to pass through Congress because you could make up noble causes all around the world to throw billions and billions of dollars at. And according to this standard that we've created, nobody can object. Anybody that objects to spending billions for other countries and their relief, they're mean-spirited, they're not a Christian, and how hateful and narrow-minded are you, Walker? We have to send billions to Ukraine, even though we don't know where the money's going. And I read an article the other day about how much money Zelensky has. You know, everybody's hailing Zelensky as his hero, this this uh, almost like this, this uh, war hero. He's going to go down in the history books. He's defending his country. All of a sudden, nationalism is popular amongst the left. Zelensky's got like hundreds of millions of dollars stashed away in bank accounts along with a house, a mansion in Florida, and other real estate around the world. So what on earth is Zelensky doing with all that money? Once again, Ukraine is one of the most corrupt nations in the world. That was pre-war with Russia. All right, so that fact still remains. Where is the $14 billion going? How about we stop sending billions of dollars overseas we stop wasting billions of dollars domestically and let's work towards balancing our budget. It sounds crazy, unrealistic, but it can be done with the right leaders. AFA at the core, be back in just a few minutes. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Today, some professing Christians assert that critical theory, critical race theory, and intersectionality are helpful tools for the church. These people have an appearance of godliness, but their assertions deny the sufficiency of God's word to guide the church in living out the reconciliation Jesus secured for us on the cross. Make no mistake, as Paul told Timothy, the God-breathed, Scripture is sufficient for teaching, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Those who have an appearance of godliness but deny the power of God's word for doctrine and practice must be identified and avoided. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. 
This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. Have you considered the difference between we are saved from works-based salvation versus we are saved to good works because of our salvation? The Old Testament law, while from God, showed us that we'd never achieve holiness on our own merit or works. Christ's sacrifice shows us that we are leaning on His work and His resurrection, freeing us to do good works. How does this play out in your family's life? If your family rewards or punishes a child based on their performance, consider a new approach. As you lead your daughter, don't be afraid to let God refine your thinking so she can receive her own rooted identity in Christ rather than in works. We are all called to raise up the next generation of Christian leaders. You can learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. Hi, this is Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. As many of you know, Hurricane Ida devastated Louisiana in August, making landfall as a Category 4 hurricane, leaving thousands of families in need of hope. Do you know it's been three years since 8 Days of Hope deployed on a rebuilding trip where we help hundreds of families rebuild their homes for free? But today I've got some exciting news. We're announcing that 8 Days of Hope 17 is going to take place in Laplace, Louisiana from April 9th through the 16th, bringing hope to those who are feeling hopeless. We're going to be doing roofing and drywall painting and so much more. If you'd love to use your gifts to serve those in need, go to our website, 8daysofhope.com. As always, it's free to volunteer with us. Food and lodging are provided. And again, if you're looking to be the hands and feet of Jesus, join us in April when we go to Laplace, Louisiana during 8 Days of Hope 17. Again, for more information about this outreach or any arm of the ministry, go to 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Core here on American Family Radio Network. The Tuesday and Thursday routine that we have, my brother Wesley Wildman steps in the studio with us. Wesley's in with us now. Wesley, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm glad to be here, and we've got a full... 20 minutes. Well, they yeah, we go by segments, but really how many when it comes down to it, Bobby, how many minutes do I really got? Uh, if you're really lucky, you probably get about 18 minutes. Okay. And <laughs> that's that's stretching that's every stretch, second of real estate. Oh. Yeah. You <laughs> should have you should have given me that even that option. <laughs> yeah. Wesley, before we jump into some of the topics you and I are going to talk about, I want to play a clip here and get your feedback on it. So, the a Florida law that we've talked about uh, on the show extensively um, is the uh, Florida parental rights law, which uh, simply ensures, I've got the text of the bill here, it simply ensures that the topic of gender and sexual identity is reserved to parents. So if this topic comes up in K through three classrooms in the state of Florida, teachers are simply to say, uh, you know, I recommend you talk to your parents about that topic, and where's which, the, which is common decency. Where's the problem? Right, exactly. We're all looking for the problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, Governor DeSantis, Wesley, uh, made a statement uh, this week about standing up for parental rights. Clip four, let's listen. We will continue to recognize that in the state of Florida, parents have a fundamental role in the education, health care, and well-being of their children. We will not move from that. I don't care what corporate media outlets say. I don't care what Hollywood says. I don't care what big corporations say. Here I stand. I'm not backing down. 
Well, Wesley, here is the text of the law, all right, just to give us some some proper context because they've been saying all kind of things about this bill. Page 4, the bill is only seven pages. Page 4 says in uh, paragraph 3, classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur in kindergarten through grade 3 or in a manner that is not age-appropriate or developmentally appropriate for students in accordance with state standards. Basically, yeah. that's all it says. Yeah, what they're, what that bill does is protect the hearts and the minds of the children, up first and foremost, and secondly, it goes back and reserves all rights of education on any of those topics and others similar to the parents' responsibility. Mm. Uh, these are the things that they, uh, even from a biological and scientific standpoint, are not even necessary for them to even discuss, even on the educational level. Yes, at uh, that age. At that age. Absolutely. M- much, less in the pres- much less in the perversive manner in which they have intended on doing in mm. public schools. Yeah. Um, so um, I, I applaud him, uh, not just uh, smallly or slightly, but in a large way because he is uh he is he in this particular case specifically he is standing in the gap mm. for children all across Florida and and their and on their behalf and of course also reminding the education system that the parents or the primary responsible are responsible for the education of their children and yeah. that he's saying we want them to help shape and mold the educate the public education at large and we want to hear from the parents mm. which is a total opposite of what you're going to get from the far left yeah and governor DeSantis, it's so refreshing wesley to have bold leaders mm-hmm. and to have leaders who say look here i am here's my here's my viewpoint oh very principally you know, driven yeah, yeah it's it's absolutely refreshing he, he didn't wait around to see uh, he wasn't speaking and then looking at the eyeballs of others uh, and checking, face, the, checking the polls yeah or checking the facial <laughs> expressions to see if he was getting somewhere <laughs> he went into this knowing that this there there are times to negotiate and there's topics to 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 have a debate and discuss about but uh, sex education amongst uh, first and third, for, uh, kindergarten through third grade? K through three, yeah. K through three is a non-negotiable for him, and mm-hmm. it's a non-negotiable for us here at AFA. Absolutely. And we support him for that. Absolutely. Uh, one, more, one more thing, uh, event-wise, before we jump into yeah. some of the Ten Commandments we're going to study today. Um, we have our Marriage Family Life Conference coming up in July. Tell our audience uh, just a little bit about that conference and what it's, uh, what it's intended for. Yeah, you can expect the best family conference that you have ever been a part of. We have uh, been doing this for several years now with each year that goes by with each opportunity we have to host this conference here at our in the hometown of our headquarters. We continue to improve of making this a family-friendly conference. We are providing classes and apologetic classes and Bible classes for all age groups, 4 through 17. Yes. Uh, we There's a... Um, uh, it's very reasonably priced. Also, we have several uh, great, great speakers, some in-house speakers here at AFA. Some are just friends of the ministry, many that you would recognize, places like Answers in Genesis and f- a few others. Um, but we are just excited. It'll be here in Tupelo. Walker's pulling up the dates. You got the dates there? Yeah, July 7th through the 9th. July uh, 7th year. through the 9th. Uh, like, as, as I mentioned, reasonably, reasonably priced. However, uh, I want to encourage you. I want to invite you to come. We would love here the staff. Uh, almost all the staff at AFA and AFR will be there working the event, and so we would love to meet you. Also, it would be a tremendous amount. We'll provide worship, so there'll be worship music. We'll also have 
As I mentioned earlier, speakers on the topics that will be very interesting to you that's very relevant to the culture. And it's a great time to get together with other Christian believers and other families who are like-minded who will encourage you to continue to do what you're doing, and that is uh, uh, being a part of the Great Commission where you are. Mm, Amen. MarriageFamilyLife.net is that URL. MarriageFamilyLife.net is that URL. You can click the register link. And then you can fill out the form there and get your tickets for the MFL 22 conference. Wesley? Yeah, I want to uh, look at uh, Commandments 1 through 4. Um, but before we look at Commandments 1 through 4, lay a little bit of background, generally speaking, of the commandments. And then also answer the question, what are the three primary uses of the Ten Commandments? And then we'll look at Commandments 1 through 4. For our listening audience, you know, we've got a handful of pastors out there, mega pastors, those that have big platforms that... Uh, in the last couple of years, or uh, finding uh, languages such as unhitching or, or separating or not finding a, a big need for the Ten Commandments. Well, uh, if God's going to take the time to write it with His finger in stone, mm. I think we're gonna I think we're gonna observe what He has to say here, Amen. and that's what we'll do. There's around seventeen hundred, give or take, depending on how you look at it, do's or don'ts from Genesis to Revelation. And I've oversimplified this a little bit just for our audience because sure. we've got a short window, but most all. Of those commandments, so 16, 1700, can be summarized both by looking at the Ten Commandments, but also looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And um, so that's a good place to start. Uh, and then, of course, uh, from there, there are many others. God, in His great wisdom, took the Ten Commandments and He first wrote it on the conscience of mankind at creation back in Genesis. Hmm. Then, as I mentioned just a while ago, he took the time to write it with his finger in stone. Now, think about that for a second. God wrote with his finger in stone. So we have the whole, we got all the scripture, Genesis, Revelation. All of it's inspired by God and is useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. Also, we see in First Peter that not only is it uh, all breathed by God, but the other portion, uh, the rest of the scripture, uh, the, the people that wrote it, men and women, also were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we have in Scripture, all of Scripture is inerrant and authoritative and inspired by God, yet we do have this small slither in Scripture where God took his own finger and wrote that. So I just wanted to over I wanted to, I don't know if you can overemphasize that. I wanted to really highlight that point. Yes. And finally, written, the Ten Commandments, the moral law was finally written permanently on the hearts of the believer in the in the New Covenant. And we see that in Romans and other places. Um, Walker, all of the New Testament, um, we see writers over and over again affirming the Ten Commandments in their writings. So Ten Commandments are very, very important. Now, we understand that by following the law, we know Jesus did say, if you love me, you obey the commandments. We also understand that just by following the law alone is not a means of salvation. However, following the law and abiding by the commandments is a way of sanctifying us. It brings us uh, to Christ, it shows us our need for Him, mm. um, and without the Ten Commandments, without the Ten Commandments, well, there's very little opportunity for liberty, peace, and biblical prosperity. Because we know that uh, it says we learn over and over again through Scripture that prosperity and uh, and 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 um, blessings that is biblical prosperity and blessings mm. come from obeying the Ten Commandments. So, with that said. A little bit of a background there of the Ten Commandments. Before we dive into one through four, we have to uh, answer the question, the three primary uses and purposes of the Ten Commandments, Walker. And you can give, I'm going to give you this three, and you can give me some comment back, and then sure. we'll move on here. Number one, 
and most importantly, the Ten Commandments expose our sin and our need for Christ. Mm-hmm. It exposes our sin and our need for Christ because you can't hardly get past one, two, three, or four before we're like, up, oh, failed that one, up, oh, can't do that one, you know. Yes. So it obviously exposes our sin. And Jesus himself, I mean, he one-ups all the commandments and makes it even more challenging to the point, and his point at that time was to show that we need Jesus. Yeah, and we one, need him. one verse that comes to mind is the one on adultery, yes. uh, 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 commandment number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Uh, Jesus goes farther, <laughs> and not just physical, sexual yeah. adultery, but he goes on to say that even if you lust after a woman, right. then you have committed adultery in your own heart. So your heart. to your point about uh, Jesus upping the ante yeah. on that, that's very true. You know, he also did, he said, um, do not murder, not even in your thoughts. Yes. Um, so he did that on many occasions. Number two, another uh, another primary use or purpose for the Ten Commandments and why it's still relevant to today is because it provides a tremendous amount of structure, even a blueprint for maturity of the individual Christian the family, and the church. It provides great structure for us because part of Satan's strategy is to convince people that being a Christian is a bunch of rules, it's a bunch of regulations, it's a burdensome because you have to do this, you can't do that. Mm. But in reality, if you simplify and you put it in the categories that, that Jesus has done and, and you understand it, in fact, that's a complete lie. It does the opposite because who benefits from not stealing? We all do. All Christians and all of society does. Right. So who benefits from not committing adultery? We all All do. do. Yes. Yes. Now, obviously, don't forget the first point, that it exposes our sin, so we we need him. But in order to understand the purpose of this, we all benefit from this. So it's not a bunch of rules that weighs you down. It actually liberates you. And I I think we're heading, we're covering some very good material here. Wesley, I think we need to continue this discussion. I've got so many more thoughts with this. I think we need to do one through four next week. Okay. Because I don't want to try to dip into it and that's we can't fine. cover it yeah, enough. That's easy but here, here's what I'm what, what one thing that came to mind, Wesley, is yeah. the it's when you have children, which I do now, uh, I've got four children, and once you have children, a lot of this stuff starts to click. Mm-hmm. And that's that's because that's, right. that's how God designed it. Yeah. God designed uh, parenting and and the upbringing of children to help even the parents uh, be enlightened and and have a a better understanding of his relationship with his children. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the the a lot of people look to law and, and, and law and policy and government all have their proper place. They're right. all instituted by God. But one thing I've noticed it, it with whether it be public education or uh, Wednesday night church or whatever activities your children are engaging in and whoever's uh, uh, they're supervi- whoever is supervising them, of, uh, assuming they're underage, much of the issues that we face in society can be headed off or corrected on the front end of this parenting-discipleship relationship to where we're not having to rely on teachers right. or Sunday school teachers or you know, so-and-so's parents to intervene yes. and try to disciple or, 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 or head off mistakes from our children, if if our children and ourselves will abide by the Ten Commandments and yes. follow God's Word, we won't, there won't be an urgent need for law enforcement, for mm-hmm. principals, for, for paddling, yes. you know, for in-school suspension. A sure. lot of this stuff gets headed off if we will submit ourselves to God. Yeah, and then in return, full circle, those few institutions you mentioned that have a role in the life of a children in some degree— they need to be complimenting what the parents are teaching at home yes. as well. 
Um, it comes full circle, but you're exactly right. And that's why, uh, as I mentioned, the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, those are just the two primary places that come to mind. And uh, to simplify it even more, Jesus said, uh, to, in order to follow these Ten Commandments, you need to love your neighbor as yourself and love your God and love God or love love God as well. Hmm. And so, um, one thing, one thing, Lexi, my wife, your sister in law, has, um, and I didn't ask her to have permission to share this story, but I'll be generic. Uh, she she is a she is a teacher. She is a uh, used to be a public educator. Now she teaches at our church, uh, k- kindergarten, but. At times, on certain days, you know, the kids just don't behave like they should, and some of them are acting up. We've all experienced that. We're all flesh, all right? So we all understand that. Um, but at times, she she would come home discouraged, and I would tell her, I would say, Lexi, your job is not to parent these kids. Right. Your job is to educate them and to teach them on your lesson plans and whatever, you, you know, the school administrator has given you to teach these kids. So don't get down on yourself Instead, parents, even talking to myself, we should disciple and discipline our children to such an extent that when they go to school or go wherever they go to Mm -hmm. interact with others and adults, they are so well behaved that you can actually educate without having to interrupt and discipline. That's right. No, I can't agree. I I couldn't agree with that any more than the way you said it. I completely agree. You know, that's why, uh, back to the Ten Commandments, we have three purposes for it, and that's uh, expose our sin, bring us to Christ, provide a a blueprint of maturity for the individual Christian family and church, but also walk with third and finally, um, are are three, at least three of the primary reasons. The third one is to provide a structure, a blueprint for civil government to restrain evil so that you and I, Bobby, our staff, Mississippians, and all of America can live at peace. Yeah. We need to be able to live at peace among our, our fellow brothers, be live at peace amongst people who even share different religions or ideas than we do. And that's the purpose of civil government. And the Bible, mm. specifically the Ten Commandments, which is why we need them in the courthouse. We need them in our public schools. Yes. That's the reason we need them in our churches. A lot of the churches have uh, forgotten about them. That's the reason we need to have these because these provide a blueprint for us to live at peace amongst all men because we all benefit from following the Ten Commandments. Exactly right. And one we'll look thing, at one and four next week. Yeah, let's do that. And one thing I tell our audience, uh, living under Christian rule or the rule of the body of Christ, whether it be in public, private, etc., benefits all people, even those who don't share our worldview. Religious freedom is a principle out of Scripture that protects all people and all beliefs. AFA at the core. Be back in a few. What does the American Family Association stand for? AFA aims to evangelize the lost and disciple the believer. AFA aims to strengthen biblical marriages and equip parents to raise godly children. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture to back it up. The testimonies were very powerful. If it's a prodigal child that has just run away, or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction, there's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. 
Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. I know we're all praying for Ukraine, and Eastern Europe is a part of the world where Bible League has a very strong presence. In nearby Albania, Pastor Ephraim is preaching away one Sunday. There's a ruckus at the door. Who is it? Twenty militant Muslims. They storm the pulpit, drag this man down the aisle. His family, many in the church who are new converts, are just horrified. They take this man to the front lawn where they beat him nearly to death. You know what his crime is? Very simply, that he has been patiently and winsomely sharing Christ with Muslims and atheists and they are coming to place their faith in Jesus Christ. But the leaders in those uh, movements are not happy. You know when I ask him, how can we pray for you, brother? He did not say, pray for an end to our suffering. He says, pray that we'll see those around us as the mission field and more will come to Christ. $5 sends a Bible, $100 sends 20 to Eastern Europe today. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. 800 yes word or give it sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. The family is under attack like never before. That's why American Family Association presents the 2022 Marriage Family Life Conference, July 7th through the 9th. Equip your family and strengthen your faith with Miki Addison. In the context of the family is where the gospel is supposed to be passed from one generation to the next. Brian Osborne. Today, many Christians have compromised with the secular thinking of our age in different areas. We've undermined biblical authority. As a result, we are seeing the collapse of the Christian worldview. And Dr. Kathy Cook. When we stand in the churches and when we train and when we instruct, we have the potential for a harvest of righteousness. And what's the next word? Peace. How many of you want that in your home? How many of you want that in your child? The Youth Apologetics track is also back this year. The 2022 Marriage Family Life Conference, July 7th through the 9th at the Bancorp South Arena in Tupelo, Mississippi. Find out more and register now at marriagefamilylife.net. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Core here on American Family Radio. Well, a voice you're hopefully familiar with now at this point in the core is Matthew Marr out of New Jersey. Matthew, welcome in studio here in Tupelo. Here I am in the studio. Walker, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be with your team. So you're you're going, I think you've hosted the core probably what, two or three times at least? We did one pre-record and two live. And God awesome. bless you, man. That live experience monologue style has <laughs> been quite a challenge. Yeah, you mentioned to me yesterday when we were chatting about you having to come grow accustomed to it. Yes. It it will come. It will become natural. But it took me a while too. Uh, I told you yesterday I, I used to come in here with like two pages of talking points. Yep. But it, it's it's not very organic. The listeners don't like it. They just want talk radio <laughs> conversational style. So it'll grow on you. Well I apologize in advance to our listeners in case it ever <laughs> sounds like I'm preaching. No, I'm but, trying to work my way through a conversation with our audience. Well, we got good feedback on your shows, right, on good. the ones you've hosted. So tell our audience a little bit about your testimony, your background, where you're from, and then we'll get into how on earth you ended up in Tupelo, and then we met a few months ago. Yes, so uh, my name's Matthew Mayer. I'm from New Jersey. I'm learning some of the Mississippian lingo down here. How y'all doing out there? That's as far <laughs> as I'll take that. You have to use y'all. I'm glad you did. I'm learning that. I'm taking it back to Jersey. I'll... I'll report what I learned here in Mississippi when I get there. But long story short, raised in a strong Christian household, familiar with your ministry here, focus on the family ministry, all these ministries oriented to family. Mom and dad raised us in the church, raised us in Christ, exemplified their faith. Hmm. I witnessed it firsthand. 
Fast forward the story, I was a complacent Christian at an early age, teenage, going into high school, college. Athletics were primarily the main focus, full scholarship recipient to Temple University, played D1 soccer, followed in the footsteps of another older brother who was playing professional soccer at this time. I was drafted to do that as well. So that's a big deal. Mom and dad are proud, but I'm complacent. I have one foot in the world with the other foot in the word. And that was a straddled position, right? Divided stance. And it's only a matter of time when you stand divided, you're going to make divided decisions. And that always brings consequences. Mine, sadly, Walker, as you know, was an egregious decision, reckless decision to drink, then drive after career-ending injury, which resulted in the at-fault drunk driving fatality of a man named Hort Cap, And that was on March 7th, 2009, 13 years ago. Mm. And those consequences obviously still echo in my today on earth, but coming to the conclusion based on my faith in Jesus, those consequences don't echo in heaven. Mm. And that's the hope. So I do travel a lot in ministry and share my testimony. There's a lot of details. There's prison stories. I served 55 months in state prison. So I'm able to talk about that experience while at the same time, talk from firsthand experience about peace Mm. that was given by God in the midst of chaos and liberty in the midst of confinement. Mm -hmm. And I do so with passion and I really want to share the good news of the gospel. No matter who you are, what you've done, there's always this hope to be redeemed. Mm. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you this, Matthew. Sorry, I mispronounced your last name. You're not Bill Maher. (laughs) Or Matt Maher. Or you're not Matt Maher. (laughs) Um, So it's, it's Mayer. Mayor, like mayor. the mayor of a city. Great. Um, let me ask you this: when you were, when you were th- doing this fence straddling, if you will, or this one foot in the life of a Christian, another foot in the life of the world, and and torn between the two, and then you have the DUI incident. Did you have conviction? I mean, were there times during that period where you, in your mind and heart, you knew, look, I'm not on the right track. Yes, 100 percent, without a doubt, conviction, or we'll call it guilt. Guilt's mm. good. Yes. Christians should be guilty when we do something that's misaligned with the Word of God. It's a sign of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit convicts. Exactly. Yes. Over time, if you don't deal with guilt, it rolls over to shame. If you don't deal with shame and you numb it and you become desensitized to it, this is probably where I was living. Mm. So there were moments of clarity. Mom would send devos from time to time or mom would sense I wasn't living like I should have and she'd be the first to call me out like, son, we love you. And there would always be this gentle rebuke. Yeah. But you get wrapped right back up in the things of the world because that's what I was living for. Mm-hmm. While at the same time saying, I'm a Christian, so I was a hypocrite. So that's yeah. what Jesus calls it, a mask wearer. And I got numb and comfortable and complacent. And obviously God is unwilling to leave us in the same condition he found us. Yeah, and I think that's the the question, and I, I didn't even, what I love about my guest is I never tell her what I'm going to talk to him about, so I'm doing this <laughs> to you on the fly. We're having a little theological discussion here, but <laughs> I think it's interesting for the audience and anyone who has lived a rebellious life, a, a, a rebellious life while being a believer, mm. um, I the same thing was true with me. Uh, I didn't, you know, my story maybe wasn't as dramatic or I didn't have it didn't go to jail or DUI or anything, but the the principle was the same. And that is in my heart, I, I was uh, baptized in the Jordan River in Israel. I mm. went on a tour with my parents and was convicted when my dad was talking about, you know, if there are Christians who would like to be baptized, we're going to be at the Jordan River. You can uh, recommit yourself to Christ. But then there may be some of you who are unbelievers who need to give yourself to Christ, who need to submit yourself to his authority. And so that's when I was convicted. That's when I believe the Holy Spirit came in. Right. But then I lived some of my teenage years 
in rebellion against God, but I was in the back of my mind, in my heart, I always knew what I was doing was wrong. I knew I was not uh, honoring Christ. And ultimately, thankfully, uh, God just brought me to my knees mm. and I recommitted myself to him. Um, and it's been a beautiful thing ever since. Uh, so the the question about conviction, I know, is an interesting one that that's really how you tell as a believer whether you are in Christ or not. That's right. Do you have that Holy Spirit conviction? Well, uh, Matthew, um, another question. Uh, you ended up in Tupelo, Mississippi, <laughs> probably, what, four to six months ago at It least. was in December. In December, and then you ended up at Tupelo at our headquarters doing devotion uh, in Tupelo, Mississippi at the AFA headquarters. How did that all work out? I have no idea how I got to Tupelo, Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't somebody at a local church hear about no, you? No, so what happened was um, I'm calling them my handlers at this point. <laughs> because they're You're take, being handled they're around Tupelo? <laughs> taking care of me and introducing me to ministries and some of the kind folk here in Tupelo, Mississippi. But it was Tracy Lanfear, Mickey Holloman, friends of the ministry, and saw my testimony. And there's a backstory. They saw it. She saw it and left it on her desktop for a certain amount of time and wanted to give it to her son when he turned 21 to show him the consequences of decisions. Mm. And her mom then saw it and was like, wow, this is a powerful testimony. Every kid needs to see this. And that's kind of what put her on this journey to figure out, how can I get this guy? Well, she reached out to my church. They gave her my email and the first email came to me. And usually I pass this off to a guy that helps me manage my bookings. Mm -hmm. Because of what she wrote, I took it on myself. So we got on the phone and I didn't know where this was leading, but the first invite was, I want you to come and meet our community. No agenda. I'll fly you guys out with your wife and your kids. Come experience Tupelo, Mississippi. I'm like, wait, where are you right now? I had no idea that was even a place. Forgive me for any audience in the area. That's the reality. We came in, and that's when we were able to meet some of the congregants at their church, went to the, one of the local facilities, work centers for some of the inmates, hmm. and then here, had the opportunity yep. to lead a Devo here. And that was like unorganized, just kind of feel it out. And then this push back here now was a more organized itinerary. Mm. I got to speak at a lot of FCA events, a church, been to the county jail, did some local schools, Mooreville, A. Marie, the Christian school in Tupelo this morning, the prep school, going to do another high school tomorrow. So we're all over the place, but yeah. really just sharing my testimony. And that's how all that and so many other details. That all because a mom got a hold of your testimony. That's always how it is. Yeah. God bless our moms. Amen. And, <laughs> and, and, and kudos to you for being responsive and, you know, picking up that phone. And that's, you know, I know we're, we're busy. Everybody's busy and we all like to have assistance and, and schedulers. But every, every once in a while, the Holy Spirit pricks you. And, and sometimes you just need to handle it yourself honored to have handled did. this one because of, I think the spirit was prompting because of the people that I've met down here, you guys included, you guys have been so gracious. You've brought mm -hmm. a stranger in really, and have given me your platform to use my voice and what God has done. And I am humbled. I hope you guys know that. Well, one thing that's wonderful about the body of Christ is I can meet you. I cannot know you. I don't e I didn't even know your name. I knew we had a guest doing devotion <laughs> <laughs> and I showed up and but that's how the body of Christ works is I can as believers we can spot uh, equally yoked 
believers, and then we can partner on the gospel, and we don't have to do background checks and, <laughs> hey, we need to watch this guy for a year to make sure he's not off uh, <laughs> off of his rocker. But that's how the body of Christ works. Amen. And you know, we all know that in the uh, New Testament church, the early church, Paul and others, they would run across believers that they had never met before. But they had a, a shared worldview. They had a share, shared submission to the body of Christ, and they were able to partner at times periodically uh, on, on the fly. And that's that's how the church still works today. Well, Matthew, tell our audience before I let you go, tell them about your, your church, how they can find out more information. Currently a pastor. I often tell people, yes, I do this for a living, but more importantly, I live to do this. Mm-hmm. I pastor a church as the associate in Ocean City, New Jersey. It's called Coastal Christian Ocean City. If you're ever in that area, would love to meet you. I also oversee a platform called truthovertrend.com. That's more or less the place that you can find out about what I'm up to. My media is on there. My sermons are on there. The blogs I write are on there and everything in between. So truthovertrend.com. And yes, honored for the opportunity to share truth in a world of trends. Amen. Praise God. We need more of it. All right. Thank you, Matthew. Appreciate you coming thank on, you brother. Thank you so much, my brother. All right. Matthew Mayer uh, from New Jersey. And he's hosted the core before, and he's going to be doing some hosting for uh, the core uh, in April. So be on the lookout for that, and you'll uh, hear Matthew's voice in the coming uh, weeks and months here on the network. Uh, back to some of the uh, topics that I want to close out the show on. The um, all right. So so President. Well, let me get to the. I can't, I can't not play this Matt Gates story. All right, I just can't not play it. Uh, if if that if that makes sense. Well, the Hunter Biden laptop story we covered it a little bit last week, and we talked about how the New York Times comes out and all of a sudden they're enlightened and oh they they say yeah the laptop's legitimate and we're <laughs> you and I are like yeah we've known this for like fourteen months we know the laptop's legitimate. Talking about the Hunter Biden laptop that showed up at a computer shop in Delaware. Um, but, but you know, every once in a while or every so often, it's pretty consistent that I sound like Biden talking. Every so often, pretty consistent. I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> let, me, let me reel this back in. It is almost inevitable that the mainstream media conglomerates, the Democrat Party uh, talking heads, they always end up affirming what you and I report. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the fact that the whole Russia hoax was fake. We said that from the beginning. We talked about uh, conservative media outlets, talked about how lockdowns don't work, how masks don't work, so on and so forth. We gave warnings about how these shots are probably not going to work. We gave all the data, all the studies. We had the doctors on, and then we got denounced. We got canceled. We had our shows pulled down. But as it turns out, all those predictions and all those truths that were shared are now being affirmed by the very same people that were yelling disinformation, disinformation, disinformation. Well, the same thing is true with this story, the Biden, the Hunter Biden laptop story. There was a hearing with a, a gentleman who heads up the cybersecurity division of the FBI. He's the assistant director of the cybersecurity division, and he's being questioned by the representative Matt Gates out of Florida about does the FBI have possession of this Hunter Biden laptop. Clip six, let's listen. So where is it, the laptop? Sir, I'm not here to talk about the laptop. I'm here to talk about the FBI cyber program. You are the assistant director of FBI cyber. I wanna know where Hunter Biden's laptop is. Where is it? 
Sir, I don't know that answer. That is astonishing to me. Is, has, has FBI cyber assessed whether or not Hunter Biden's laptop could be a point of vulnerability, allowing America's enemies to hurt our country? Sir, the FBI cyber program is based off of what's codified in Title 18, or um, Title 18, Section 1030, a code which talks about computer intrusions, right, using nefarious intent. Network well, you've talked about passwords here. I mean, Hunter Biden's password on his laptop was Hunter02. He drops it off at a repair store. I'm holding the receipt from Max Computer Repair, where in December 2019, they turned over this laptop to the FBI. And what now you're telling me right here is that as the assistant director of FBI Cyber, you don't know where this is after it was turned over to you three years ago. Yes, sir. That's an accurate statement. <laughs> I want to throw my pen at the camera, but that would do us no good on this show. Uh, this is astonishing, to put it mildly. What is the FBI doing? What are they doing? What, why are we pumping in hundreds of millions of dollars to fund the FBI if this guy can't even tell us if the FBI is in possession of the laptop? The computer shop turned over the laptop to the FBI. It is non-controversial. It should be easy to simply say the, the Federal Bureau of Investigation is in possession of Hunter Biden's laptop. Next question. You, ain't, you don't have to talk about what's on the laptop or the status of the investigation. But you can affirm we are in possession of that evidence. It is part of a federal investigation. But no, we can't talk about that. We can't talk about that. Why not? Why not? I'll guarantee you if it was Walker Wildman's laptop or it was Donald Trump Jr.'s laptop, not only would they have it in their possession, they would have leaked the contents of that laptop as soon as they got their hands on it. The double standard by our bureaucratic agency is astonishing. And it has to stop in order to restore faith in America's justice system. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.